AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Volatility is creeping back into the ag markets with sharp losses in lean hog and cotton futures. Wheat found some export demand, but couldn't hold on to the midday price gains. Bean oil ran away from the connection to crude oil, and cattle are hanging close to contract highs. Live from the fully stocked Strategic Agri-Knowledge Reserve via Farm Journal <laughs> Broadcast, this is Agritech. This afternoon, we'll talk with Ken Morrison from Morrison on the Markets right after the news. Oliver Slope from Blue Line Futures. I'm Handsome Newsman Davis Michelson, now the host of Agritalk, Jeff Ari. You can't let that get good one, good one. Uh, you cannot <sighs> let that uh, that stock of, what did you call it? Strategic it's Agricultural, strate- what? Yes, the S-T-A-K-R, the Strategic Agri-Knowledge Reserve. Got it. Got it. I love that. Hey, we we're going to tap closely. into that as much as we can. We guard it very closely, you know? You know, the best refilling thing. refilling that sucker ain't cheap. That, it ain't cheap oh, well, refilling that. It ain't that. cheap, but it can be refilled. That's the cool thing about a knowledge reserve. You can tap into it all you want. You just keep, re, just keep restocking, man. Yeah, but what if you need it sometime, though? You know, and then here we are at eighty-five percent, and we just sort of sit around going, "Duh." No, don't you mean forty-five percent? And we're really going, "Duh." <laughs> well, it only takes me down to eighty. <laughs> <laughs> Untrue. You forgot Untrue. somebody in the intro. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Probably, Bernstein, of course, yeah. from the White House Council of Economic Advisors. I How heard that you ran out of Bernstein? breath. That's maybe why. But I just, I did. That. I was trying to. Well, I didn't have enough in my strategic agri breathing. Reserve is what it was. Right. right. Got down past eighty five percent and shut her down. Well, you know the other way that you restock that knowledge reserve. How's that? You just throw another pork loin on the grill. Oh yeah, baby. I think I will. That I think stuff makes Davis Michelson smarter. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, if you ever hear me make a suggestion, you know, hey Davis, how about some pork for supper? Um, and then I come back with something like uh, uh, the Can- Kansas City Royals finished at the bottom of their conference this year. If you come back with sports <laughs> knowledge after eating pork, holy smokes, we will know that it is a superfood. Looks like Ferentz is in trouble here. What's he going to do? He's got a tough choice. That's going to make a tough Thanksgiving. Oh, listen to you taking notes, taking notes and repeating. I love it. All right. We got to get to the news so that we can leave some time for Oliver. What do you got? Chip export sales of wheat in the weekend of October 20 showed signs of life and topped trade expectations at just over 533,000 metric tons. Despite the uptick in demand, strength in the U.S. dollar index erased much of the support for wheat prices. Traders are also watching another rain chance for the southern areas of the HRW belt. December soft red wheat futures traded solidly higher and above resistance at 850 before falling back to close low range. December hard red winter wheat futures eight and one half cents lower, 932 and a quarter. December SRW wheat down two cents, 838 and one half. 
December spring wheat closed at 9.50 and one half, down a penny and one half, Chip. Yeah, U.S. dollar index is almost 900 points higher as we speak, 110.59 on the dollar index. Boy, I tell you what, if the markets were still open, the grain markets and the wheat market in particular, if they were still open, they'd probably be pushing lower. Well, corn export sales of 264,000 metric tons in the week ended October 20 was well below trade expectations. China did top the list of buyers, which could raise optimism that demand is coming back into the market. But with total export commitments for the 22-23 marketing year, 52.7% behind last year's pace, demand bulls are difficult to find. December corn futures opened steady and tried to rally, but the price advance was stopped by resistance below yesterday's high. Prices then fell back to close below the opening range. December corn futures two and three quarters cents lower, 682 and one quarter. March corn down two and three quarters, 687 and three quarters. July corn futures closed at 681. That's up two and a half cents, Chip. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting uh, Ken's take on the demand situation for corn coming up here in the next segment. Well, soybean export sales of 1.03 million metric tons in the weekend of October 20 were in line with trade expectations. China was again at the top of the list. Total export commitments for soybeans this year are 4.7% ahead of the year-ago pace. USDA says exports will be down just more than 5% from year-ago. Generally good growing conditions in Brazil and improving conditions in Argentina also limited buying interest. November beans posted a low-range open and lost most of the midday rally. To post a low-range close, November beans, one half penny higher, 1382 and one quarter. January beans up a half cent, 1393 and one half. July soybeans closed the 1412 and a half, down a quarter of a cent. Soybeans seem a little sleepy this week, Chip. Well, and on the export sales report, there was a lot of movement from the unknown destinations to a an identified destination. For example, total mm-hmm. sales, total net sales, 1.03. China's on the list for 1.116 million metric tons because they switched over 664,000 from unknown. But lots of switching in this report. Well, export sales of cotton in the weekend at October 20, just 68,400 bales. That did nothing to support prices. December cotton, 271 points lower, 75.11. Livestock's quickly. Deese cattle, 15 cents lower, 153.42 and a half. Novi feeders down 70 cents, 178, 12 and a half. In December, lean hog futures, $3.37 and one half lower, 85, 12 and a half. Details at the bottom of the hour. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Let's bring in Oliver Slope, Blue Line Futures. Good afternoon, Oliver. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself? Doing just fine. Do Just fine. What do you see that you like in the markets? Uh, the, the grain markets are just a total snooze fest. That that's yeah. for sure. The corn market traded the 683. I think today was the ninth consecutive session. Didn't really venture too far away from that over the last couple of weeks either. You know, eventually we'll, we'll get that breakout move one way or the other. It's just what's going to be the catalyst to get us there. And kind of reminds me of how cattle traded a, a couple of weeks ago. We were tethered uh, to the hundred, I think in 200 day moving average for like three yeah. weeks straight. And then finally yeah. got, you know, that breakout move to the upside. Uh, so corn and soybeans, I'm sure we'll get that bigger directional move sooner or later, but it's, uh, it's been a pretty boring week or two. Yeah. It, I get the sideways change, <laughs> the, the sideways range that we've got going in corn. And by the way, we had a typo 
in the news. Uh, that July corn contract was down two and a half cents, yes, not up correct. two and a half cents. Yep. Yep. Um, but it, I I don't recall a market a corn market trading like this in the middle of harvest, Oliver. Yeah, and it, I, I was talking with some clients over the last couple of days too. With the with obviously the dollar is rebounding today, but yesterday and and the previous day the dollar sold off sharply. Crude oil yeah. was rallying pretty aggressively, and corn couldn't do anything. And I was I was just hoping that that would be the catalyst to get us back towards that seven dollar handle, but it couldn't do anything. And I, I guess the same could be said today. At least we're not breaking down. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it, one, one way or the other, it's going to give, it's been providing some great shorter term opportunities, but it's getting to that point. Like how many more times do you go back to the well, because you know, it's going to rip somebody's face off sooner or later. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. We've got Oklahoma this weekend. Who you got? We got Illinois. It's a battle of uh, the big 10 West. Yeah. Yeah. That's should be a pretty good game. I hope I hope the uh it depends on which Oklahoma shows up for Iowa State, that's for sure. Oh, no kidding. I yep. I got my uh, I got my Psy outfit on though. Okay, good. I appreciate that. Let's go uh let's go Cyclones, GBR. Ken Morrison next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. FullScale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about FullScale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Man, I've been working too hard. Ten hour days and I'm tired. Damn, there's nothing. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us this afternoon. Davis, of course, is here as well. Um Okay, we, we're going to dive right into it because I, there's a lot of ground that I want to cover with this guy. Ken Morrison, Morrison on the markets. Ken, it's good to talk with you again. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Thank you very much, Chip, for inviting me. Uh, it always seems like we have more on the platter than we have time for. That's, that's exactly right. And I'm going to add to it right now because I think it's going to lead us into something that, that we need to talk about. It, um, Oliver made the observation that it, it just acts like corn doesn't want to do anything. You might argue that corn doesn't need to do anything at the price that it's at right now, because it may have already done enough based on some of the export demand or lack of export demand that we've got in the market right now. Well, I, th- I think that's an excellent point. Uh, I, <laughs> I said yesterday 
that corn to me seems like a perfect cure for insomnia. Just watch <laughs> it a, a few hours and you're bound to go to sleep. It, 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 it absolutely doesn't want to do anything. It's had uh, about two or three chances to really do something. And every time it gets near $7, it gets rejected. And every time it gets close to 660, it seems to find support. And so where are we now? We're at 680. So yeah, yeah I, I think it's kind of in a sweet spot and it has no reason to do anything right now. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's waiting for the next catalyst and, and I'm not quite sure where the next catalyst is going to come from. Well, it, based on the numbers that we're putting together on the export side of the market right now, can the next catalyst might be to the downside because we can loosen up a little bit and go after some demand. Well, that might help, uh, but we're so far out of it relative to competing for especially Asian destination demand right now. We're so far out of it relative to Brazil that we've got to come down a lot, uh, a lot more than people would probably want to see uh, see us come down. Uh, so it may just be a, a, a waiting game to wait Brazil out until they uh, really sell everything they need to sell. And, and I don't expect that's probably going to be before the end of December. Uh, I, I think they're going to try to get the, at least their bobbing capacity cleared up uh, in preparation for the bean harvest, uh, certainly by the mid-January. Uh, but they've got more corn to sell. And of course, uh, from all indications, uh, China has given the green light and, and everything is, is a go for uh, Brazil to start shipping corn to China. So I, I think we're going to continue to fall further behind the present forecast for corn exports over the next few weeks. Uh, and I look for more downside revisions uh, in, in the export forecast come November. Okay. Okay, you know what? Davis started that line of conversation with me on uh, in, in the, at the end of the show on Tuesday afternoon, wondering if the importers could could uh, just like outweigh the or outlast the wait for for corn supplies to come fresh out of South America, or will they have to step up and start to buy at least something? from the U.S. before those new crop supplies are available. Is is that a possibility? Well, I, I think it's not only a possibility. I think it's probably a high probability that, okay. uh, you know, Jan January, March is going to, is has to be the sweet spot, uh, sweet spot for the U.S. corn exports. Uh, but it's a very narrow window and we're, we're uh, threading, a, <laughs> we're, we're uh, really, yeah, trying to put the put the thread in the in the needle uh, pretty pretty slim right now. Uh, you know, I, I did an exercise chip uh, recently. This is one. Well, you go back to 2011, and there's been okay. six years when the ending stocks to use was less than 10 percent forecast. Okay. Um, and and I wanted to see what was the price response in those years. And I took the slice from October through June and looked at what prices did. Three of those years had pretty good rallies, actually very strong rallies from October to, to the end of June. Uh, two of those years didn't do anything, just went sideways. And one of those years, actually, prices declined from October 
till until the end of June. So I, I guess my point was, and my exercise was, you know, uh, small stocks relative to use is not a guarantee that prices will rise. Right. And, and the way things are shaping up, I'm, I'm certainly inclined at this point to think that we may be in one of those, you know, sideways years for the next few months in, in the corn market. Uh, I, I certainly don't see the impetus yet for any strong price movement. Okay. Okay. Um, Ken, what is the situation in China right now when, when it comes to feed supplies for that hog industry? I mean, there was that Bloomberg story that was out, I think it was late yesterday, talking about how China is in need of soybean meal. What about corn? Do they have the corn that they need? I, I don't see that. That, that, uh, that piece kind of took me a little bit by surprise because I hadn't seen anything about that recently. And right. now obviously, I've, I've, I've seen the notion that soybean meal stocks are tight, but that frankly has is what turned around crushing margins. Right. So, so that was that may have been by design. You know, the the one thing that I find a little bit curious about this whole notion that bean supplies and thus meal supplies are tight in China is that the government has been auctioning a half a million tons of beans every week since I think June or July, and they've sold less than 20% of everything that they've auctioned. Now, yeah. if crushing was if crushing margins are good, which they are currently, why isn't the market paying up for those beans if right. there is a supply shortage? So some, that's what kind of, you know, it doesn't make sense that there's a tremendous shortage of, of, um, of feed for the hog industry right now. But having said that, I mean, hog prices are spiking, pork prices are spiking. So it may all of a sudden be a recognition that, oh my gosh, we're, we're actually able to make a lot of money now in feeding hogs. And so maybe it was one of those kind of, you know, snuck up okay. on us demand sort of things. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's something that I'm going to watch. I mean, with the way that the meal market is trading right now, it, are they favoring meal on the long side of the the meal oil spread? Uh, in China, you're talking about specifically? No, no in our market here. Uh, it looks like the oil is the leader. Uh, I mean, the, the way the market's gone after the oil yeah. has just been tremendous lately. And uh, But I think that also could be kind of coming to an end. Uh, but crushing margins in the U.S. are just, I mean, they're fantastic. Uh, you know, you've had ADM and you've had Bunky both report better than expected earnings and, and largely on the on the back of good soybean crushing margins. Um, and so, you know, that looks like it's going to continue. I looked at crushing margins today relative to a year ago today, and they're not only excellent now, but they're double what they were this time a year ago and they were good a year ago. So uh, I. I you know, that looks like, uh, you know, the biodiesel thing looks like it's really, uh, yeah. in, you know, it, it maybe it's a little bit on the back of the shortage of the diesel fuel right now. But uh, uh, and yeah, we can don't get into that, that yet, because <laughs> it, don't get into that yet. I know that's going to take a little bit longer to discuss than than what we've got here in this segment on the China crushing. And, and this fits in with, with everything. You know, we're putting so much capacity into the U.S. on crush with the idea that 
we're going to keep the oil here and export the meal. Is China going to play along with that? Um, you know, I haven't given that much thought. Uh, well, you know, obviously they're going to favor, it's probably going to put more favor into importing palm oil uh, to China because uh, the price of soy oil, I think is going to be relatively steep. Uh, so that'd be the first thought that comes to mind. But I'd have to think about what you just said there a little bit more, I guess. Well, I'm just thinking I, that, the, I, I, you know, the industry I, I, is built on on crush, importing the raw beans and crushing for the market. Uh, absolutely. You would think they'd, they'd want to keep it that way. Well, they're going to keep it that way. And frankly, they're, you know, relative to capacity, they're probably only crushing at about 60% of the total overall market capacity over there. So so if, if your question is, are they going to allow okay. imports of soy oil and soy meal? I'd say absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. They'll, okay, they, well, you know, they'll, they'll do whatever they have to do to, to keep that from happening. Okay, that that's what I was getting at. So, okay, we've got a couple of items here that I want to get to next. Number one, we're going to talk about the energy markets and the diesel supply that we've got here in the country. Uh, and then I want to get Ken's take on the completion of the CCP Congress this past weekend. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time now for news of note from ProFarmer. A senior Russian foreign ministry official said commercial satellites from the United States and its allies could become legit targets for Russia. Moscow has yet to make a decision on whether the Ukraine grain export deal should be extended. Chinese President Xi Jinping said Beijing is willing to work with the United States to find ways to get along. Meanwhile, China's economy is facing down uh, growing risks of slowing external demand in the fourth quarter. The Biden administration is mulling options to increase the Northeast Home Heating Oil Reserve, which would require congressional action. Rishi Sunak, Britain's new prime minister, delayed the announcement of a major economic plan, saying he needed time to make the, quote, right decisions and union members of the National Brotherhood of Railway Signalmen overwhelmingly voted down the proposal. News of note is taken from the pages of ProFarmer. Try ProFarmer.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. I don't know what you're thinking. So call us at 855-4-TALK-AG and tell us what's on your mind. 
I would learn to play the trombone for that reason alone. That's all I would need. <laughs> Welcome back to AgriTalk. You know what, Davis? I've decided that we need to do a bump with you talking about refilling the Strategic Intelligence Reserve. Yes. 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 I think we need to do that. Yep. The square so, of the hypotenuse but, is direct, directionally proportional to the inverse of the... Oh, I lost it. Well, well hey, 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 let's more work pork. on it after you recap where the market's closed, okay? December hard red winter wheat futures were eight and one half cents lower today, 9.32 and one quarter. December soft red wheat down two cents, 8.38 and one half. December corn futures two and three quarter cents lower, 6.82 and one quarter. July corn futures closed at 6.81, down two and one half cents. November soybeans a half penny higher, thirteen eighty two and a quarter. July closed at fourteen twelve and a half. That's down one quarter of one cent. December cotton at two hundred seventy one points lower, seventy five eleven quickly. Cash cattle traders still waiting on cash cattle trade, but the market did manage a mid range close on expectations. Cash bids will end the week on solid footing. December fat cattle fifteen cents lower, one fifty three forty two and a half. And Novi feeders down seventy cents, one seventy eight twelve and one half. And finally, lean hog prices plunged in a steep downside correction. December hogs spiked, but closed above support at 85 bucks. December hogs were 337 and one half lower, 85, 12 and a half. April contract down $2.05, 92, 12 and a half chip. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. We're in the middle of a conversation with today's guest analyst, Ken Morrison. Morrison on the markets. Uh, Ken. Let's talk about what's going on in the energy markets, uh, and and I would like to get your take on the diesel market in particular. I mean, yes, we're higher year-on-year on gas prices. It's 11 or 12% year-on-year right now, but but diesel prices are bumping 50%, and it's because of these tight supplies. What's going on? Well, in a, in a couple of words, we're exporting too much product. Um, we, don't, we don't have... We don't have an oil supply problem, and unlike what most people would try to make you believe, we don't even have a refining capacity problem. We're simply exporting more distillate, and especially diesel, than we should be. Um, And the only cure that I see that would be effective is one that I can't believe I'm even talking about or considering. Don't. But, but I think we need, I think it's serious enough that we need to put a cap on distillate exports, gasoline and diesel fuel, particularly. Um, and, and my suggestion is if you start at something like 30% below the, the recent levels of exports, um, that would be a good place to start, and that would start to replenish the diesel supply. Uh, so so that's that would not be a popular decision, but it's been a decision that I think seems to be the only sensible solution other than unless you wanted to hope for a, a massive recession in the U.S., and I don't think anybody wants that. Uh, so, so that's my take on what's going on in the diesel and, and distillate uh, heating oil market. Uh, okay. You look at the numbers. I mean, we set a record yesterday of yep. combined crude oil and product exports. 
so number one, that at uh, 55% of that record of about 11.4 million barrels a day exports in the latest week, about 55% of those exports were products. Uh, so don't tell me that we have a refining capacity issue. We're able to export all the diesel and distillate that we want to. So how can we have a refining capacity problem? We don't. Okay. Talk, talk to me about why that pained you as much as it did to say it. Well, it pains me because I've never been an advocate of controls on trade. Uh, but, but I really, there's a couple of things that, in my view, make this different than your traditional grain embargo, as an example. And again, I'm not, okay. I'm not advocating an embargo on product exports. I'm simply saying a sensible place to start would be to uh, lower the, the lower the, the ceiling on what can be exported. So a quota system of sorts. But uh, the way I see this is different is that in effect, the release of the SPR oil is public taxpayer-owned oil. And we're using that to basically satisfy export demand for products at the same time when uh, refining margins, for example, today for diesel is $66 a barrel or $1.59 a gallon for refining diesel. Uh, and so I just I, I just see this as different. Uh, you know, you're you're interesting. You're, yeah, well, and it's a, it's a it's an let, opinion let, that certainly is not popular. Well, let's let let's come at this from a little bit of a different angle, Ken. And and I know we, we can think through this here. What happens if we just let the market work it out? You know, I, you've always been a big proponent of that. I've always been a big proponent of that. What happens if we let that happen? First things first, we've got to make U.S. prices competitive for that diesel that it's making its way into the export market. That means higher because it's not going lower in Europe, is it? Well, and that's another misnomer. You mentioned Europe. Oh. We, most of our diesel is not exported to Europe. It's exported okay. to uh, Mexico is our top destination for diesel fuel and two other destinations in Latin and South America. And so uh, I looked at the EU imports of diesel in the month of September and only 6% of all the diesel that they imported was okay. from the U.S. Okay, so, well, then uh, again, we've got that, to make the price of, of diesel higher in the U.S. than it is in Mexico. Well, and here's the other thing, uh, Chip. Mexico is operating their refining capacity at 50 or 60% of capacity. And I think if you force them to seek another uh, supplier of diesel, you're going to send them a message about, uh, you know, really getting their refining capacity up to snuff. And so to go back to your question, oh. if, we, hmm. if, if we continue to operate the same way that we've been operating, we will not only not build our supplies of distillate, but they will continue to decline. And going into the wintertime when heating oil is a part of that supply, I think is a, is a real security issue. I've been on a soapbox about this for longer than I care to say, 
but I've abdicated a cap on on product exports for a couple of months. And okay, and I I would like to see. There's been too much focus on the price of gasoline in the U.S. We need to get the focus on the cost of diesel. And by the way, what do we use in terms of fuel to move every product around this Everything. country? It's yeah, diesel, diesel fuel. Yeah. So if you not only do something to rebuild supplies of diesel, but at the same time, you're going to bring inflation down. Okay. Uh, so okay. it just, to me, Oof. you know, some things look so obvious to me that I know I'm missing something. But this one to me looks like that's the only choice to make. And it's a hard decision. Uh, a lot of free traders, just like myself, would roll over in their grave. They have. But, but, but it's just something that, I, again, I think it's different because we're using taxpayer-owned oil to supply foreign demand. Okay. And, All right. And, and, and we're going to, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not anti-profits, but these are record refining profits that these oil companies are cashing in on. And so to answer your question, if we continue as we're doing, that's what they'll do. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, we're, Jared Bernstein and I, I recorded a conversation with him earlier today, and we are going to continue down that path of that, down that, that thought process just a bit in the next segment with Jared. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. We find ourselves in a, in a very unique time. I, boy, I wanted to get to this earlier than what we are, Ken, but I'm still going to go there. The Chinese Communist Party Congress held every five years just wrapped up. You've spent some time in China. I just am curious of your take of what you saw. Well, first of all, I'm glad I'm not in China now for very yeah. for multiple reasons. But first of all, this is, as someone put it yesterday, this is the end of the capitalist revolution in China. Uh, we've got a very authoritarian leader in the uh, in the man of Xi, and he now has surrounded himself with people that will not challenge his authority. Uh, he's going to, you know, continue to make very poor policy changes, uh, choices. And, and, and so that's only going to add to his problem. There's already frustrations among the public for his COVID policy. And who does he put in to, uh, to be his number two man? The guy from Shanghai who led the zero tolerance COVID policy in Shanghai. Yep, so yep. It, it tells you a little bit about where we're going in China. Uh, I haven't seen anybody say what has happened over the last week in terms of the leadership in China is a good thing for the world or the U.S. relationship. Uh, I, I would think for uh, people doing business in China now would be very concerned. I would certainly think so. And, and boy, the optics of having the former premier removed from the head table late in the Congress, um, that was that was a pure signal right there of if you oppose me on anything, you may just disappear. That was scary stuff. All right, yeah. Ken, let's stay in touch, okay? I don't have you on enough because, you, you. number one, you're not afraid to think, and number two, you're not afraid to say it out loud, and I appreciate that about you, man. Thank you so much. Well, Maybe Jared will listen to what I had to say and do something about it, huh? Very good. Ken Morrison, Morrison on the Market, Jared Bernstein next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. 
FullScale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about FullScale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm glad that you are with us this afternoon. We got the GDP numbers out this morning and joining us now is Jared Bernstein, White House Counsel of Economic Advisors. Jared, economic growth rebounded over the summer. GDP up 0.6% in the quarter, 2.6% year-on-year. That beat expectations. What drove the growth? Well, one factor was solid consumer spending. Uh, You know, you and I have talked about this before, Chip. Mm -hmm. We've got a really strong labor market, lowest unemployment rate in 50 years and not just in the big cities, but in rural areas and ag areas uh, all across the country. And that helps to give consumers a little bit of spending power. Lower prices at the pump in terms of uh, gas has helped as well. We also had, and I think, again, I think your listeners from uh, the agriculture perspective will find this interesting, big boost in net exports. Now, I know that sounds very obscure, uh, but it's an important part of our GDP, of our overall economy. What it means is we had more exports, which adds to our nation's economy and fewer imports uh, which subtract and part of that has to do with uh, unsnarling some supply chains Uh, that helps a lot of farmers get goods to market get them out there in the global economy so those were some of the big big factors in play in in q3 boy you gave us a lot to unpack there in a short period of time jared because this this measure (laughs) that's right this measure was taken when energy prices were falling from the early summer highs prices are going back up now. What what are the risks to the economy if we do see fuel prices rise in the fourth quarter? Well, anytime fuel prices rise, that's going to uh, that's going to reduce uh, the buying power of consumers, and we've got a a seventy percent consumer spending economy. But you know, you also have to remember that we've been through a period of. Uh, where uh, particularly after Putin's invasion of Ukraine, uh, the oil price spiked to $120 a barrel. Uh, Now it's back down to 85. And a lot of this has to do with actions the president took to release oil from the strategic reserve. That, as you know, is is a large uh, reserve that the government controls. Now, the president came out last week and said, uh, you know, that that's been a helpful intervention. And especially given the war in Ukraine and the OPEC plus decision to cut back on production, you know, if he needs to go back to that well, he will. Uh, so we continue to work on on keeping uh, gas prices low for the very reason you raised. Yeah. Um, the OPEC cuts. 
the OPEC nations say that that was driven by the decision to pull supplies out of the SPR. What's the response there? Well, look, this was a very misguided uh, action on their part, very much in concert with the actions that Russians say, you know, anything you're doing that complements Putin's uh, uh, outrageous uh, invasion of Ukraine is uh, uh, completely misguided and a a terrible move as far as we're concerned in the geopolitics. When you're talking about the global supply of energy, you have to remember that uh, the USA is the number one oil producer. Uh, And so... Uh, we have uh, been uh, generating uh, strong production numbers. Uh, we'd like to see uh, those numbers continue to go up. We have some refinery constraints. We'd like to see some of those come back online. Right. Uh, but you've also, heard, you've also heard the president say, you know, these domestic uh, oil producing and refining companies are as profitable as they've been. They've been really uh, uh, hauling it in. And, 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 you know, God bless them, that's fine. Uh, but at a time like this, uh, The president has urged them to pass uh, through some of those uh, profits, some of those gains on to consumers at the pump uh, to help give folks a bit more breathing room at a time when we're, you know, dealing with real, real constraints in this critical global commodity. Yeah. You know, part of that is driven by exports of U.S. crude and and refined products because other countries are willing to pay more for it. Right. Yeah, especially natural gas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we it, there there's talk about potentially uh, making some moves to increase the home heating oil reserve in the northeast. What could be done there and would part of that be some sort of a restriction on exports? You know, I'm not going to get into specific policies that are uh that aren't ready to be discussed in public. Uh, the way we do these things in the White House is the president says to us, um, we need to be sure that Americans uh, are able to get some breathing room at the pump. We've got winter coming. We know we have uh, some constrained supplies. So we got to make sure uh, we can do everything we can to help okay. ease prices. So put everything on the table. Everything's on the table, including uh, issues you, you've mentioned, uh, but... Uh, when we're ready to talk uh, about them in a more fulsome way, uh, you'll be the first person I call. Very good. I appreciate that. Solid consumer spending. Uh, I agree. It, it was solid in the quarter. The question is, going forward, are consumers going to be able to keep up with the rate of inflation? Well, I think that there is some potentially uh, – positive news there as well. And again, it relates to something we talked about a minute ago. Uh, We did see, by the way, uh, inflation come in below expectations in this report. Um, Mm -hmm. It's uh, something we'll talk more about tomorrow when we get the monthly numbers. This is for the quarter. Uh, But for today, let me just say the following. And I've, I've written about this on Twitter. We know that our supply chains, as I've mentioned earlier, are are improving. Uh, they're just a, they're just a lot less snarled than they used to be. Goods are getting from ship to shelf. There's much less of a maritime parking lot in Long Beach and L.A. and those ports. Uh, we have ocean shipping costs coming down pretty significantly, and we've also seen inflation in the good side of these indicators. Uh, you know, apparel and 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 some of the things that you know the things you see at Walmart and Target and Amazon. Those goods inflation is coming in uh, considerably slower than it was. We saw that in the report this morning. 
Um, And I think that's not just a a monthly blip. I think it's related to supply chain unsnarling, and I think it's uh, a useful indicator going forward. So one one thing we can do is to continue to press on those gains. Interesting. Jared, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Great talking to you. Take care. All right. That is Jared Bernstein. White House Council of Economic Advisors, thanks for listening. Tomorrow morning, we got the free-for-all. Weissmeyer, Redpath, Michelson, and me right here on Agritalk.